Fall is here, and you know what that means. Yeah, it's time to break out the swear sticks, aka soil probes. Well, yeah, but how are you going to keep your together? Good question. I need a lot of help. Oh boy. Oh boy is right, but I have a great solution for you. Oh really? I'm listening. Farm QA. They have a suite of tools that can organize your workflow. Things like scanning barcodes from AgVise and Midwest Laboratories to automatically upload your lab results by field into your Farm QA account. Oh yeah, I have used it to make a map to show what fields need to be sampled and what fields have to be sampled, so I don't miss any. So there you hear it. Go to farmqa.com to learn more about these features and so much more. Getting ready to zone soil sample this fall? Sure am. What are you using to make your maps? I'm going to the place that's got a map for that. What place is that? That's GK Technology. Oh, I hear they can make a map for just about anything. Yeah, not only zones, but drainage too. Really? Like, drainage so fast that your neighbors didn't even know that it was on your field first? <laughs> yeah, right. The maps are that good. Well. Looks like I'm going to be using GK Technologies ADMS software this fall, if it's that good. It is. And go check them out and see what ADMS is at www.gktechinc.com. Hey, I'm Kyle Oki. And I'm Jason Hansen. And you are listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour podcast. Rock and roll. <laughs> That's why they drink vodka over there. You're better off spraying the vodka on those last words. <laughs> Drought is no fun to endure. It, it's Devil's right hand. <laughs> it, you, oh no, ball. that's beer. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour, and we have a good one in store. Uh, actually, uh, when we were recording this, uh, Jason, you just got back, what, I want to say, was it last week or two weeks ago? From I was two weeks ago. From your trip out west. So, so yep. you were on a trip called the See It For Yourself, or See For Yourself yeah. program that the North Dakota Soybean Council puts on. And so we actually have someone from the North Dakota Soybean Council on the podcast with us. So we have Stephanie Sinner, who is the executive director of the North Dakota Soybean Council on the podcast. And I'm kind of excited for this one because, you know, everyone's aware of the North Dakota Soybean Council and, and other crop councils too. And then, you know, we're going to dive a little bit more into talking about the Soybean Council, but then there's soybean growers and that those are different entities and what it is you guys do. And so I'm, I'm just super interested in the whole bit so i guess let's just start out stephanie by just introducing yourself and just explain what an executive director does for the north dakota (laughs) soybean council and what it is that you do and what the council does yeah absolutely well thanks for having me i'm excited to be on here today as well and uh good to i visually get to see jason so good to see you again and kyle thanks for uh for letting me be a part of this so um yeah i've been uh executive director at the soybean council since 2018 and we're, we are tasked with uh, supporting the board of directors who are all soybean farmers who invest the soybean checkoff in, in checkoff programs for soybean farmers. So, uh, so we, 
I like to think we have the best job in the world because we get to work alongside of and for and in service of our soybean farmers here in North Dakota. And I couldn't ask for a better group of folks to to uh, work with and get to represent. And so, um, so yeah, we uh, our 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 office, the Soybean Council, is the designated collecting authority for the soybean checkoff and yeah. board of twelve farmers that are elected by their farmer peers to serve on the board, and they make the decisions on how that's invested. Uh, research, promotion, um, producer education, uh, market development, both international and domestic, uh, communications, outreach, uh, consumer education, a few of the areas we cover. So so just help for me that's the more oblivious than the rest um, <laughs> about just the checkoff dollars. So so where, where do the checkoff dollars come from? Mm-hmm. And... And, and what kind of, you know, just explain that that whole part of it. Yeah. So the, the Soybean Checkoff, uh, the North Dakota Soybean Council was established in 1985. And we were actually established by the Soybean Growers Association. And it's it's a pretty cool story, really, f- for all the commodity groups in North Dakota, for all the checkoff groups. Uh, soybean was created, you know, by farmers for farmers. And uh, it really speaks to the vision of of. U.S., but North Dakota farmers as well, who got together and said, "Look, we we need to we need to create a soybean checkoff. We need to collect that on the bushels that are sold, uh, so we have money to invest in research for sustaining uh, this crop and this industry and to expand it." So, um, so the checkoff today is one half of one percent of the market value price of each bushel at the first point of sale. So it's only collected once, um, and that that first point of sale is typically your elevator, right? Uh, you harvest yeah. beans, load load the grain truck, run it to the elevator, drop it off. That's where the cl- the so the soybean checkoff is collected, and then that's remitted to our office. Fifty um, percent of collections stay here in North Dakota, and fifty percent are sent to the United Soybean Board. So there's not there's a state board and there's a national board, and we're tasked with doing the same things. And all that money is invested by farmer led boards. Oh, very interesting. So there's. So if you think about that, uh, one half of one percent of market value per bushel of soybean, and I'm just trying to think of and where beans. You, know, have you, gone. you just think acres of how that adds up on North Dakota's acres of soybeans on an average yield. Yeah, that's there. There's a few dollars there. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing because we're talking about something that uh, you know we we all need is is investment back into those particular crops, and mm-hmm. if it's uh, something that's down technology like genetics. Or, or if it's something like a particular issue that locally as a state we deal with, so that's that's very interesting. So then those those projects are uh, that's places like NDSU and some others that are looking at like research oriented projects to try to tackle specific issues. That's where they're yeah. getting funding dominantly. Yeah. Then is from you guys. Yeah. Do that so checkoff. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're you're tracking you're tracking down the right road on that. So um, so we. Again, we have those those pillars of research, communication, market development, um, outreach, uh, our, and I think I got it all. Uh, our prim- primary sectors we work in. So basically, the easy the easy answer is we can do anything except lobbying, policy advocacy work. So um, okay. and we can we can dive into that. But um, yeah, when when so our budget is fluctuates with market prices. Um, so that can can be interesting sometimes. Uh, but yeah, that money comes back to the board and it's reinvested in exactly those things. Um, the breeding, the soybean breeding program at NDSU is a great example, right? That was one of the first things the Soybean Council started back in 1985 was the breeding program because those farmers yep. realized that nobody was creating varieties for this this climate. 
this region up here. And so they knew they knew there was a pretty good shot at being able to produce soybeans up here, but they needed a breeder whose job it was to get up every day and think about producing the best variety for producers in North Dakota. And that was Dr. Ted Helms. So he, he's a household name. Yep. He was the breeder for 40 years at NDSU. But yes, that's exactly a good example of how the checkoff has worked to create successful varieties that work up here. So so basically that process then, say there's a, a, there's a needs assessment put on, let's say, projects that are being working on or being worked on their soybean related. And that's, that's uh, you know, amongst yourself and the board members that kind of decide on how you allocate resources yeah. to. Yeah. So we, uh, um, we do strategic planning as a board and a staff and, and say, you know, here's our goals. Here's the needs of the farmers across the state. Here's Here's our major areas where we need to be making um, it, making making the needle move, right? Uh, and then we get pro, we get proposals from lots of groups all over the state, all over the U.S. Um, and in each of those category areas, and then the board consider those considers those and, and does the investment accordingly. So, um, so yeah, research, agronomic research studies, um, disease management, pest management, all all the things uh, you all talk about on. And what you do in a on a day to day basis, um, market development internationally has been very critical for North Dakota. We are seriously an export reliant state um, for soybeans uh, and really for most of our commodities. Uh, that export market is so critical for us. So market development around the world, um, biodiesel, renewable diesel. We have quite a few stakeholders we work with um, in. So not only keeping up with the science to make sure that the biodiesel and renewable diesel can work in all the different engines, but making sure it's an accepted feedstock in the states like California and Oregon, Washington, where we just were, Jason. So they see soybean as an acceptable feedstock to meet their clean air emissions goals. So we work in a lot of different areas. There's never a dull day. I tell you that. <laughs> that was, uh, I, I, I got asked and I, I was on the trip and uh, Mickey called me up and said, hey, would you like to go? And I looked at my schedule. And I said, I think that will probably work to go out there. Not knowing what it was going to be like, maybe an idea, but not yes. totally. And uh, it was it was extremely interesting. I think the reason I don't know if this is the reason, but I bumped into Mickey up at the KMLT Ag Show yeah. in in January, and we got super excited and animated talking about the uh, the soybean magazine. I have uh, my copy right here, you know, because yep. I, I I really like this magazine, yeah. soybean North Dakota soybean grower magazine, because it's got it's just got things that happen that are current. It's very visual. It's got people that I know in here. Mm, yeah. So there's local stuff, there's international stuff, there's research stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if that was what it was, but sometime you're out of the meeting and you got your groups there, go talk to those people because you never know <laughs> what's going to get, where it's going to get you. Yeah. But some of that was, that was very interesting in those, we went to ports, <laughs> was uh, they love our soybeans coming out of this part of the world, the Dakotas, most Northern Minnesota, because there's very little foreign material hey, in them. <laughs> And it's just comes in, goes out. But a couple other people we had on that tour was uh, with Jeff and Bill. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's going to be at uh, Green Bison right. in Spiritwood. And then Bill's over in Castleton facility. And so I got to learn. I had not, I had never seen soybean meal before oh, until okay. they, they passed stuff around. Well, so, so there was that, there was animal aspect um, yeah. of what this crush, these crush facilities could mean for the state <laughs> and other implications going forward. Yeah. 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 I was glad Bill had those samples because he had he had samples of all the products that that are going to come out of the Castleton crush plant. So uh, like you said, Jason, a representative from each of the new North Dakota crush plants went with us and 
uh, they were just tremendous assets to have along and getting to know about their companies and their goals and, and what they're expecting out in North Dakota. But two crush plants coming online is going to be a game changer for our, for our industry. That, um, that's going to be a huge difference. And I definitely yeah. want to talk about that, but I want to back up just for a second sure. and talk about uh, this see for yourself program and just learn a little bit more about the origins of it, because it's interesting, you know, we're, we're, as we're talking here, I'm listening and you know, one thing you mentioned was that North Dakota is so dependent on the export market as mm-hmm. far as soybeans are leaving the state. And, and I think that's what that see for yourself program is. So I, I just, for everyone listening, just get a little more context around what that is and, and how you guys sure. utilize that as the council. Yeah. And, and then we'll transition back into this crush plant thing because sure. I find that super interesting because it changes <laughs> the total dynamic of what you said earlier about how we're exporting everything out of the state. Yeah. But, um, but hold that thought and let's okay. just talk for that, that see for yourself part. And yeah. I'm more curious. Yeah. We started this program in 2012, 2013. Uh, and it was modeled after a program that the United Soybean Board did for quite a few years. And kind of the same thing. Come see for yourself what your checkoff is doing. Uh, come experience it. See it firsthand. Get an understanding. You know, when, we, when we're harvesting beans, I mean, it's like you, you just fill that truck and you deliver and you're back to the next. You know, it's just, I mean, you're just head down. You drop it at the elevator. You get the check. You move on. Uh, so really trying to get our, our farmers exposure to all the things beyond that and before that how the checkoff is invested in, and help them become um, good ambassadors for the checkoff. It also works um, as a pipeline for us to find people who are interested in serving on the board. Because sure. um, you get some exposure to the checkoff or the association or the organizations we invest with or partner with, and then suddenly they're like, what? You know, I really would like to be a part of this. And then you're like, yeah, we, we've got opportunities for that. So look, looking for those that are looking for leadership um, positions or to be involved. So so that's really the goal, uh, creating ambassadors for the checkoff, helping people f- fully understand and get that firsthand experience um, of what the checkoff is being invested in, because it's invested in so much more than just here in North Dakota. I mean, there's just so many, so many pieces of it. I think for me, and, and Jason, you can share, but you know, the first time I went out uh, to the PNW Pacific Northwest, it was just such an eye opener for me. And I just came away thinking, there are so many parts to this chain that all <laughs> work together to get our beans. And it goes all the way back to the agronomists and the crop consultants who are in the farmers who are working to make sure we get a good crop established and we get a good crop harvested and we have all the resources available to manage all those challenges that come our way. Then there's this whole supply chain and it's really cool to meet the people involved um, because they're they're amazing. So yeah, so it's, it's really that whole step all the way to when the the beans are loaded on a ship and sent overseas. Um, Excellent. So it's so it's always going out to the Pacific Northwest, and you <laughs> you get to see basically how when the beans get loaded onto a train and they leave, in the normal farmer, the normal yeah. person in North Dakota would not really see firsthand. Yeah, we, what happens we, to that after that, and, yeah. and that's where you guys pick up and and get to see the process as it exports and leaves the country. Yep. And in addition to to not just the export portfolio, but uh, we talk about transportation. We meet with BNSF and you get that behind the scenes look. And, you know, it, it's always a good reminder that you see those grain trains heading across the prairie and, and they look so cool heading out. And you think about that. Well, then they hit the mountains um, and they got to put on seven locomotives to get 114 car train of soybeans up and over the mountains. And you think about the staff and the people that it takes and the expertise that come in to move that train. Uh, we talk rail, we talk bridges, we talk roads. Um, 
But then we also meet with the biodiesel and renewable diesel folks because being out there in that part of the country, you get to see why people care about clean air and why there why there's a push and a demand for some of the renewable fuels and a need for it. And so it kind of is like taking a, a walk in their shoes and understanding what they're doing and how that's driving demand for our product that comes out of North Dakota. So so not just the export, but also what's going on on the West Coast that's driving demand for our for our soybeans. And and I could understand that. I mean, you hear all the time about how California, especially, but the entire West Coast is making yeah, a push towards like the electric vehicle uh, yep. sector and trying to have less emissions and cleaner energy, so to speak. Sure. But they also deal with very serious issues with supplying enough electricity yeah. to cover the demands. Okay. And so I can see where the importance of not just having any fuel okay. source as far as uh, how to run like uh, power generation in backup situations or transportation and all that, but to have a renewable source, I could see being an absolutely important part. So I can see the role that yeah. you know, soybeans are playing into that. Yeah. And, you know, and um, Jason, maybe you all had conversations around it too. You know, there's a need for every sort of fuel source, right? But we, we can't just be all in one, all in one. We, we need ethanol. We need biodiesel. We need renewable diesel. Um, we, there's, a, there's a place in the world for EVs to exist. Um, and so, you know, but there, what we want to make sure happens and who we partner with out there is um, the Clean Fuels Alliance. Clean Fuels of America, Clean Fuels Alliance of America, sorry, um, and they are the folks working in policy out there to make sure that soybeans remains a a a, a qualifying feedstock for those for those fuel sources, so that we don't get cut out of a market. Hey, that was uh, that was probably I think in any place you go, it's it's talking to people and finding out what's important, right? So some of the the whole you're right. I help my farmer raise the best beans he can. He's going to market them, goes to the elevator. We talked with BNSF and all their challenges that they have is hiring people. Yeah. The amount, the amount of snow we had last year in North Dakota. Yeah. They those were not pictures, a fan. Those yeah. pictures were unreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To getting out on the West Coast is not just talking about this thing. They are doing mm-hmm. this biodiesel thing. We might talk in like a B10 or a B20. They, they're, they're talking B50, B30. Uh, the Portland airport was, they had all of their vehicles, all their ground vehicles run on an R99 blend. Yeah. I had never heard of that before. So it's a renewable okay. 99%. Every bus, everything with wheels on it, that's what they do. And then there was also sustainable aviation fuel. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually really cool. What I re- the one thing I remember is they go to, so you got to, you know, we're flying back from Portland. It's like, you can check your thing on the back yeah. of your seat. Minus 62 degrees Fahrenheit outside the plane. <laughs> yeah. And they're talking about using a 10% biodiesel blend. And what it does is it just that 10% would break up the carbon chain. So you see that the emissions at certain altitudes that behind the plane that stay there for a long time, they can they can get rid of the carbon in that fuel by just going to a 10%. Yeah. And those people are very interesting because exactly like we said, Stephanie, we can't go 100% EV because we don't have the power grid. So we need to do this and we need to do that. And this is a transition to some things and some of the stuff's going to stay here. Yeah. And you go, and they show some, of, show some of these charts, the rest of the nation, you could combine what they wanted to do and you're just a blip on what California right. is going to do. Right. You're yeah. like, man, they're going to use a lot of soybeans for what they got to do. It's, they are. it's yeah. huge. Yeah, it is. 
And we haven't even touched on, um, you know, marine and rail are just coming on as well. And and like we're hearing the, the world of SAF, and that will be a good market for corn as well uh, in the sustainable aviation fuel uh, development. But, you know, ma- marine and rail are the next folks that are trying to make this move. And like we talked, um, I was at the Clean Fuels Alliance conference in January, and we had a panel with marine uh, airline and rail. And you think about you know, why why are why isn't the rails switching over and are they're not all running on biodiesel or renewable diesel or when are we gonna get our ships switched over? And you know, those are machines that are made to last for fifty, eighty years. Uh so those are fleets that just don't turn over quickly. Um and you don't spin up a line of ships, you know, it in a year. It takes a long time to build new ships and they're expensive. So it's interesting when you think about how each industry has to approach it, but they all have goals and soybean can entirely be a part of helping them meet those goals and that's pretty cool for for our north dakota farmers so yeah that's extremely interesting i mean that's a so so i can i can see how that that so again back to this see for yourself mm-hmm. program like how this really just sheds a lot of light on on all that that's that's very yeah. interesting um I'm gonna... one of the cool things on that too kyle was that we first went to the bonneville lock and dam right. system so the columbia and the snake so mm-hmm. perspective, 16% of all the wheat that's exported in the world goes out of that port. Yeah. Just just to give you an idea of the, so the volume. So if you say to the average person, yeah, we're going to go out to the PNW and go in Columbia, you're probably not thinking wheat or soybeans. You're thinking salmon, right? You're going to go fishing. Sturgeon, walleye. Yeah. yeah. Walleye. <laughs> yeah. So it was all about how they have their system and how they can have combine the barge traffic up and down. Commerce plus nature's dealing with the fish, and that was super exciting too. And now it's a system that they bring people in from all over the world to look at. Yeah, and that too, you know, goes back to our discussion about power and fuel sources. You know, that's all hydroelectric power coming out of that those two huge dams. And yeah. uh, I, we, uh, Shireen and I, Shireen's on our team, and she's she's really responsible for putting this together this year. We have. Um, you know, what What do I do in my job? I get to work alongside some pretty amazing people who do amazing things. Um, but uh, we were chatting that for it'd be really interesting to get the Bonneville Power, um, the Bonneville Power Power Association, who manages all that power and distributes it off the off the grid. Be interesting to hear from them. And just given the conversations and the direction all of this is going up and down the West Coast, you know, how are they planning to manage all this EV uh, surge coming online, and what are they going to? What are their plans for the hydropower? Because I think that electric grid discussion is is really interesting, um, and it's it's just a, another piece of of it all. So Bonneville Power Authority, that's it. Yep. And we had one we had one Panamax ship yeah. that was sitting there waiting to be filled. It had been some wheat in it. There was wheat that was shipping out, but yep, they'll put six one hundred and ten car mm-hmm. trains in that ship. Yeah. So what? One hundred and ten rail cars is like four hundred and forty thousand bushel, right? They'll put, six of, they'll put six of those in there. So they put six of those in there. So they're putting two point four million. Yep. Yep. That's yep. It's like our engineer production. <laughs> I think one of the ports, Temco, said last year they unloaded just over sixty-two thousand rail cars. Yeah. Yeah. Of and that's that's soybeans, it's wheat, it's that corn. Is, yeah. But just to give you an idea, and what and when you're there, you're like really, but. I, I said this, we think we have big toys yeah. out here, <laughs> not even close to what those books play with every day. And you're just sitting there going, oh my gosh, they got six foot wide belts that are going to load 120,000 bushels an hour. They got two 500 horse motors on it. And it's like, 
yeah, that's just what we do. It's no yeah. big deal. <laughs> and we got to walk out on that dock right up to a ship that wheat that Panamax that was in loading with wheat. Uh, I I had not gotten to experience that in my eight eight tr- eight, eight tours out there. Uh, so that was really yeah, just to, the size the size of those ships is just unbelievable. And um, and then I think so, one of the oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, you guys keep saying Panamax ship, and for for me, uh, that just like, what's what makes a different ship, uh, or what makes it a Panamax ship? I'm just curious. Or is that what they just called them there? Do you it's know? The, you... It's the, if I remember right, it's the largest ship that can traverse the Panama Canal. It's a, it's so it. Pana, Pana, meaning Panama Canal. Oh, Max. okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so then it it's destined not only then for. Southeastern Asia or the Asian countries, but it can go down through South America, through Central America, or through Central America, excuse me. Yeah. And it could be headed out to a, a faster route to the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, there's a Handymax, there's a Panamax, there's a Supermax, and it's all based on size of the ship, number of holds, um, and and that's that's the that's the references. So yeah, Panamax is probably the most typical out there. Um, and and they'll there's some typically they load with all one commodity uh, and go go destination, but there there's also what they refer to as grocery boats. <laughs> they will they will maybe have like a Panamax could be a grocery boat. It's got seven holds. It could have four different commodities in it, and you just put something <clears throat> in it, something different okay. in it. Um, oftentimes those ships may be making like multiple stops at different destinations, or it could all be bound for China. So interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So you were saying earlier that the this, this program was almost like an ambassador program mm-hmm. to put together your council. And I believe you said you have it's twelve farmers across the state that represent that council. So, so is that a geography based thing? Like you have farmers from different counties, or or how do you kind of draw that up? And how do you attract farmers to being part of that? Sure. Yeah. So for the Soybean Council, we have 12 districts across the state, and that those district lines are are drawn based on production and fair and equal representation of the number of farmers within a district. Um, so we are uh, bound every at a minimum of every seven years uh, to go in and, and reevaluate and recalculate and make sure that our district lines are drawn correctly, uh, because you know we're. We have more acres going in. You guys know this out your way, Kyle. Um, yeah. New, new producers growing soybeans, and so it's important that we make sure those districts are are equitably representing the soybean farmers. Um, so that's that's how it's divided up. And then um, the terms roll for each district that has a board member. Uh, so we have you know folks terming off at staggered intervals. Um, but our election process, so um, you. You have to be a soybean farmer, have to be producing. Um, it's pretty simple, but we do a, a U.S. mail-in voting process. Uh, and the reason we do it this way is to ensure we catch folks who maybe aren't in North Dakota. Uh, we think of the snowbirds or, or the folks who sure, maybe yeah. leave the state. Because our elections take place in the winter. We start in December. Uh, and so then we can catch everybody by mail and they can nominate and then vote by mail. Uh, so... Uh, try to make sure we catch as many producers as possible. So uh, if you're a soybean producer out there and you get irritated because we ask for your mailing address, this is why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can get our amazing magazine, uh, but also yes. uh, to make sure we have you on, on the list to be getting getting the nomination forms and the ballots for your district. So, yeah. Yeah, and there was three on the trip. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Thompson and Evan Montgomery and, and Ted Brandt. Yeah. So Jim Thompson is Cass County. 
uh, representative to the board. Um, Evan Montgomery is Grand Forks and Trail, and he farms at Grand Forks. And then Ted Brandt is brand new. In fact, he'd been officially in his term for like 10 days. So, <laughs> mm. uh, And he is sergeant and it's the second county down there. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ramsey. So, um, so he's he's our newest uh, board member just elected uh, this year. So, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun to have those folks along because you kind of get an idea. You're just talking shop. Yeah. About what's going on in your area and your crop and this, that, and everything else. So Riding the bus talking about spraying and all kinds of, you know, nerd yeah. stuff that this consultant was like, oh, that's just, it's a great ship. <laughs> and it's, it's really good onboarding for our board members. We try and, we try and get everybody through the, through the program at least once because, um, it, like, like we said, it's, it's so comprehensive from, uh, infrastructure and rail and roads and transportation to, uh, tr- shipping and trade and, um, biodiesel and consumer demand and, and also consumer education too. You know, you interact with people out there who've never heard of soybeans or never seen a farm or anything like that. And so, mm-hmm. but I, that's, I, a, lot. The, uh, that's a lot of stuff. It, mean, is, to, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, like the, the, the folks who close our program are the, the bar pilots. And I, I always tell our participants, like, once you meet this, this crew of people, you will never get in your combine and, and not think of them. And the, <laughs> where, where the Columbia River uh, flows into the ocean, uh, it's called the bar. And it's the confluence of all those currents. And it's the most dangerous water crossing in the world. And every ship, what, whatever it's loaded with, logs, cars, soybeans, wheat, has to get crossed safely across that crossing. And there's actually a set of pilots who are trained uh, to, to go. They you typically get flown out or boated out. They board the ship and then they help navigate it across the across the bar and into the river channel or vice versa back out into the open water. So um, Captain Captain Dan Jordan was our speaker and he's had just an amazing career at sea. Um, not the job for myself. That is not. <laughs> you, you have to be a uh, you have to commandeered a ship for a period of time and he'd been in a merchant marine for a period of time did some other stuff all over the world and yeah if i remember right he he doesn't guide he just verbally he tells them how they're going to make safe patches and the crew and the captain of the ship is going to make that happen but there's no delta like say the mississippi where everything kind of fans out and can kind of slow down the flow this is if you got a lot of snowpack or a lot of rain columbia's hauling ass yeah yeah. So, but the getting on and off the ship is like, no, no thanks. Uh, it's pretty wild. They're going to, so think of it, think if you got a big, big ship and it's out in the swell and it's going up and down and they're going to, they're going to fly out in a helicopter. You're going to, you're going to get on the tether, right? And they're going to lower you down onto this ship. So that <laughs> ship's moving up and down. That's how you come on and off the ship. And same with the boat. Uh-huh. And the boat is just like a, there's a ladder on the side of the boat. So now you've got a time, like one boat's going up and down at a different pace and their littler boat. And you got to watch out because you don't want to be on that when your boat's coming up and that boat's going down. Yeah. Not not the career for me, but it was it was super interesting because in there, I didn't think about it. I mean, yep. really all I, all I think about is I hope my beans do 42 bushel this year. Right. And I don't, <laughs> as as a consultant to my farmer friends and clients, they as long as their beans are good and once it's in their possession... I, I'm done. Yeah. Turn, turn and thing, and I don't think about it till next year we got to grow more soybeans. Right, right. So this was really interesting to see yeah. the process. And then when you read the news and hear about things, like Isn't what's it? going on in Russia with some of their ports and yeah. this whole conflict, you're like, oh. 
Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, I mean, that's kudos again, back to those farmers who had the vision to put checkoffs in place um, because that investment is at work for you. Like you said, you drop off your beans, you've done a good job, you've done, you've gotten paid, but there's a whole system out there that needs support and investment to make sure it's, it's sustained to make sure we have market access all around the world. So, you know, the waterways maintenance out there, the dredging, the cleaning of the Columbia River, same thing we hear about on the Mississippi all the time, but we've got to do the same thing out there to make sure those ships can navigate the channels. So there's whole teams of people that do it, and we're we're really proud to partner with them and, and make sure they uh, know that soybean farmers appreciate them. Do you, do you so, get much oh, excuse me? You get much pushback on the checkoff? You know, we 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 don't. Uh, we we get questions. You know, on occasion we get some questions, um, and uh, always happy to have a conversation about the checkoff. You know the. The return on investment today, the ROI on the soybean checkoff is for every one dollar invested, it's twelve dollars and thirty four cents back. That's pretty good. That's pretty. That's good. a pretty big return on investment. <laughs> Just ask any business person, farmer, you name it. If you spend one dollar and get twelve dollars in return, yeah, yeah, that's that's a great investment. Yeah. Cool. So um, I think I think the soybean checkoff uh, being a national checkoff and having that structure in place and the oversight that's there. Uh, make sure that it's transparent and it's it is truly working uh, for the farmers. And I mean, checkoffs in in general are are pretty pretty tremendous programs when you think about it and and the the good they've done to to help farmers stay stay profitable and and keep up. You know, I mean, this is an industry that just changes so fast. And and without having the resources to invest in the research and the technology, you know, I don't I don't know how you'd keep up if you just had to do it yourself at your farm. So. Right. <clears throat> and yeah. so speaking of things changing, you, you had two individuals that were on that trip with you guys that are operating these new crushing plants that are in the state. So now we're a state that has been dominantly an export out of the state market to having a substantial amount of domestic need yeah. for soybeans. So I'm just curious kind of your guys' discussion that was around uh, the, the two crush plants that are being being currently built, I mean, Spirit Woods is getting very close. Uh, they've mm-hmm. just taken over the old Cargill malting plant in Spirit Wood, just just uh, to the east of Jamestown, and sounds like they have uh, projected to be taking soybeans in October. Yeah, at some point, be... so just in time for harvest. Yep, they'll they'll be online taking beans and hopefully processing before very long. And I did drive by Castleton. Um, to or this week as well, and I see concrete going in the air. They've got the they've got the concrete form slip or whatever you know that they they pour the concrete silos with, and they have concrete going vertical. So by the time it, people listen to this, there's probably going to be a lot of concrete. Yeah, in the air. It, they're moving fast out there. Um, talked to a few people that were out there for the Castleton Field Days last week, um, and then my husband drives out to Castleton every day to the farm office, and yeah, they're just like, yeah, it's it's changing every day, so it's exciting. So, but yes, we did have uh, both green green bison soy processing out of Spiritwood and North Dakota soy processors out of Castleton on on the program with us this year. Fabulous to have them both go along. Um, yes, the Spiritwood plant will be taking beans this fall, so they they've been working uh, hard, and they so they were a brownfield site. This was a new new word to me in the last four years with crush plant development where you come into an existing site and then remodel it, right? Fit it up for what you're going to do with it. The North Dakota soy processors being a greenfield site, meaning they started from scratch. So uh, oh. yeah, uh, green bison can be taking beans. I think they've got contracts out now. 
and uh, taking beans, and we'll be seeing soybean meal come out of there this fall. So it's uh, and and if I'm not mistaken, the crushed oil that comes from there is actually going to Dickinson to the Tesoro refinery, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the um, the Green Bison plant is a partner, a joint venture partnership with Marathon Petroleum, and the, they have the Dickinson refinery, uh, right. which has been fully fitted for uh, as a renewable diesel refinery. And so 100% of the soybean oil coming out of Spiritwood is being railed direct out to um, Dickinson. So, yeah, right in your backyard. Have you been out by it? Oh, yep. I, I'm yeah. very familiar yeah. with the refinery. And, and, yep. it, and it totally makes sense. On, uh, that was one of my questions. You know, it's, it's not a pipeline that's going from the crush plant there, but there is a, a rail unloading yeah. facility right next door that was always, well, that was actually an oil exporting facility and and i don't know if it's used to export oil out of the area or not but it's directly adjacent to that yeah that refinery and so i could see there's i mean logistically it makes sense that they can bring state crushed oil from soybeans bring it into that refinery and and then in turn turn that into renewable diesel yep and that renewable diesel out of the dickinson refinery has been a hundred percent committed to the california market okay so there's they they have it buttoned up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so then when it gets to the soybean meal, I mean, how much soy, so, so there's a market for all the oil, mm-hmm. at least out of the green bison. And I'm sure that there's, there's a good market for the oil that comes out of the, the Castleton crush plant when that becomes yep. online in another year. But what about the soybean meal? I mean, how much, how much is getting produced uh, in, in those terms? And when that's a livestock feed or, or where does that get used? Yeah. So good question. And this is what, this is you know, it, it's exciting to be part of the soybean industry, but this this is going to be um, an entire industry shift, uh, not only for North Dakota, but for the U.S. soybean industry. And so quick background too: the biodiesel industry was spun up because we had a glut of soybean oil on the market. So you think back to the early 90s, uh, making soybean meal because it's a livestock feed ingredient. And we just had, you know, tons literally of soybean oil piling up in in tankers with with no use and so the soybean checkoff rallied and said let's develop a a market for this and let's create a demand and that's how the biodiesel industry started so that kicked into gear and then also the checkoff funding research in innovative new uses for soybean oil right so that's where we started to see soybean oil come into a lot of different industrial or consumer good uses now that table has completely switched 180 degrees and we now have all the oil spoken for, whether it's industrial use, food use, which still remains a big market, and then this demand for the biodiesel and renewable diesel markets. So now that leaves us with a lot of meal, excess meal. And so the uh, green bison plant is going to generate 1.28 million tons of soybean meal on their processing. So that's, it's a lot of meal. Um, and we're going to need a lot of animals to feed it. And so we have to remember that we are still going to be pretty export reliant for both whole beans and soybean meal um, until the U.S. livestock industry catches up. And it, and it probably won't fully catch up. Uh, there will always be an export demand for U.S. soybean meal because it's one of the highest quality feed ingredients you can get uh, for, for an energy and essential amino acid near poultry, swine, dairy, aquaculture, market and, and so and there we're talking about a whole realm that i know so little of but i do know that north dakota has a is a uh has a what do you want to call it they're anti-farming or not anti-farming anti-corporate uh, corporate. farming 
And, yeah. and so like your big animal confinements, feedlots, um, your bigger dairy operations, mm-hmm. all that are, they have to be family farm owned and they can't be of a, a, a larger corporation or business or, I mean, maybe you guys can fill in better than I can, but knowing that that will limit the scale of animal confinement operations to do feeding, I would see that there's always going to be a need to export. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other cool people that they invited on this see for yourself program was Sean at the North Dakota Department of Ag. And he addressed that there's been some changes in the legislature about this whole wording around uh, the corporate farming and trying to increase animal agriculture in the state of North Dakota. Because when you go to every state uh, surrounding us. Literally any state. Any state. Around us. Yeah. And I mean, down in Nebraska, and you, you name it, they kick our butt in every category of livestock, bird, aquaculture production. <laughs> we just we just ship beans out of here. Yeah. So this, to me, it was exciting to hear about that there's some changes about how there's this multiplying effect impact, right? Because yeah. one thing I, as, as a consultant, if I could have access... I mean, three things. One of those three things is access to more manure. Mm, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I could really use it. I got some fields in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a big deal. Um, a, a local feed ingredient, locally sourced feed ingredient, you know, we won't have to import, export export beans, have meal made somewhere else, and then have to import meal back uh, from Minnesota or somewhere else. Um, but yeah, you know, that's that's where our sister organization, the Soybean Growers Association, comes into play in, in working working to make sure policies like that are, are beneficial to soybean farmers across the state. And so it, it'll take time. You know, livestock operations don't pop up overnight, nor nor should they, probably. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a complex process. And uh, but hopefully our, our communities across the state will be will be willing to have have those facilities come in. Uh, it it brings jobs, it brings income, it brings tax base, you know, all those things, and it and it will consume a lot of our products, corn, soybean meal, you know, you name it. We got quite a few byproducts because when you think about all of our commodities, for the most part, they leave the state, right? We are really good at producing really good commodities. Um, so it it'll it'll take time uh, to grow that livestock base. Um, you know, we've, we've been really good at beef cattle. We're still really good at beef cattle, uh, but we need we need to increase the number of animal units that consume soybean meal because that's what we're going to have to offer. So it's exciting. Uh, we work with the North Dakota Livestock Alliance. Um, they help growers across North Dakota who are interested in saying, you know, how could I add a swine operation to my to my farm? Uh, what would that look like? What do I have to do? Or um, and so they help producers navigate that permitting process and the, the process of getting input from their community and, and community buy-in and support. Um, and that's really important. And that, that's a piece of what the checkoff can support as well. And on that note, too, you know, one of the research projects we have going this year is with uh, John Biermacher at NDSU, and he's doing a feasibility study on what would it be for a North Dakota grain farmer, commodity farmer, to add a, you know, 1800 sow unit to, to their farm. So we have some actual farm gate costs uh, producers to look at and say, you know, yeah, this this could fit into my my budget or my plan. So that's something we're funding as well. Right. It'd be having the feed source close by. That's always been our limiting factor as far as coming to a swine operation. Yeah. Yeah. And to Jason's point, then you've got um, manure, right? And that becomes a really good um, chain of resources going back and forth in that community. So so I'm curious, there was a comment made just a little earlier, and I, I don't want you to clarify more on it, but you were talking about the 
North, to, North Dakota Soybean Growers Association okay. in contrast to the North Dakota Soybean Council. So it, what are the main distinctions between those two? Sure. Uh, so we kind of, we always say we're, we're wheels on the same bus. <laughs> so we need to be turning in the same direction because we're working for the same farmers and for the same industry, but we have distinct roles. Um, so the, the council manages the checkoff and the checkoff is non-refundable in the soybean world. So we have, um, we take it very seriously to be very transparent in what we do, but we also take it very seriously that we don't even dip a toe into that world of lobbying or advocating for specific policies. Because, you know, if you, if you don't like a policy, you can't, you know, you, you need to be able to say, I've, I've, I support this group or I don't support this group. So that's why the, the Growers Association is a membership-based group. So they advocate for you as a soybean producer on policies uh, and regulations going into place at both the, the state and the national level that could impact you as a soybean producer. So you pay a membership fee uh, and they represent you and, and help stay abreast of, of policies that, that could impact you positively or negatively, right, out there advocating for you. Cool. Um, they don't do lobbying. They, ha- they have a lobbyist um, that they work with, but they work with the American Soybean Association. So like we have the North Coast Soybean Council and we have the United Soybean Board, they have the same same system in place, a local state association and then a national association. Um, and that national association, American Soybean Association, uh, D.C. and St. Louis based, but they're the ones working on the policy side of things. Um, a really good example of this is biodiesel and renewable diesel. And we, we talked about this on the program, Jason, but so much. Um, so if you think about renewable diesel and biodiesel, so much of that is based in national legislation and policy, right? the renewable fuel standards, the renewable volume obligation, uh, tax incentives, uh, rebates, RIMS, you know, all of that is based in policy um, that we we want people advocating on behalf of soybean farmers to make those policies, make sure those policies support the demand and use of soybeans. Well, we can't do that, but we sure would like to have a really strong, robust demand for soybeans and biodiesel and so it's our job to promote biodiesel, to create demand, to help people understand how it can be utilized, how it benefits a farmer, how it generates return to a soybean producer, how it helps meet your clean air standards in L.A. Um, so we do, the, we do the promotion, the data, the research. We fund those things while the memberships, the members of the association go out and advocate for policies that are supportive of that. Yeah, I work together and stuff because it's all, it's all the same. It's so important. Yeah. yeah. And, and we couldn't. Neither one of us would be real successful without the other, but but we have very distinct roles in what we do. Yeah, like you said, wheels are on the same bus. Okay. You're moving towards yep. the same goal, but you have different roles. Yep, yep. And you can't roll with one flat tire. <laughs> so speaking of that, one of the other companies that was in talking was Not. Goodyear. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, why not? I, I even took notes this time. But... It w- that was very interesting because they were, and I, it was remote. They came in, they talked about all the stuff, but I think 8% is the number that sticks in my head that they were going to convert from petroleum-based to soybean-based in all of Goodyear's tires, which I just got a set. I just got a set of new tires. And uh, anything that could bring that down would be great. <laughs> yeah, I I had to step out during that presentation, Jason, so you might have to speak to that one. But wow, what a program they have done with Goodyear, um, with, with the tires. And then they also partnered with Skecher shoes and they yeah. have a full set of shoe tennis shoes, um, available that they've replaced the petroleum oil with soybean oil in. So, yeah. 
it sounds like it's really consumer driven too, where they're like, we need it needs to be more sustainable. So they they're doing all this testing, and they showed us a bunch of their different treads that they've had and tested on, and yeah, they yep. they take that extremely serious, <laughs> right? Yeah, and uh, they were very positive. Um, you would think, well, if it's eight percent, that's well, it's close to ten and ten percent. Mm-hmm. The nation's tire is good, at least that brand. Yeah, that's that's a good mold. Yeah, you do mass like I do. I like that. Well, Eight I'm not, is really ten. I'm not, I'm not good at it. <laughs> you got to go. I want to be quick at it, so I, I change it. <laughs> no, we we were able to do. Uh, it, obviously, I, I love talking about the checkoff. I, I love the job we get to do. But one of the programs we did this last year, um, the board uh, had us do a program where we donated. We gave grants of up to a thousand dollars to rural first responders in North Dakota who needed new tires on their vehicles. Mm. And and if they purchased a set of the Goodyear soy-based tires, we would help cover up to $1,000 of that cost. And That's man, pretty substantial. Yeah, and yeah. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because we, I think we had almost, I want to say almost 20 that were able to take advantage of it. Um, but man, the notes we got from ambulance, fire, um, it, those, those rural folks that volunteer their time to be those emergency first responders and you know, and we, we picked this group to focus on other states have done different groups, state troopers, city police, um, because the first line of tires that came out were um, for the Dodge Chargers that, that some of the state troopers drive. Okay. Um, but we we waited a couple of years to roll this program out because we really wanted to focus on the rural communities in North Dakota, where our soybean farmers are from, where they live, uh, the communities they they support uh, and be able to give back. Right to to help support those folks and those groups aren't on state or city budget. Right, they're 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 volunteer. They're doing fundraisers for equipment and uh, and there's and so was, there's a lot of volunteer first response. Yes, in this state, an yeah. absolute mm-hmm. lot. Yep. yep. And, yeah. And a thousand dollar credit is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You know that covers the majority of the cost of a set of tires. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, it was it was probably as a team, it was probably one of our favorite projects to to be a part of. It was pretty cool. And, and is that something that's still ongoing? We we don't we're not doing it this year and and honestly, Kyle, simply because we're a little short staffed. Oh, sure. Um so is it something I see I see the board doing in the future? Absolutely. I think it just meant a lot to them to to be able to do that. Yeah, it sounded very successful. Yeah. We had uh, I know Minnesota. I think they did a program where they donated Skecher shoes during during the latter part of COVID to uh, nurses. Mm. So that was a fun one to see. So it's been fun to see our fellow uh, soybean states and their boards, the programs they've done around this too. But all because yeah, the company Goodyear said we we can do the formula testing and we can use soybean oil and here we go. Tell no, that's a, it's it's always cool to hear the other uses for that yeah. that soybean oil and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where it's going and what it's being used for because I think you get a lot of the plastic molding or molded yeah. parts on like combines and, yep. and other tractors. It is using a similar. Uh, it's using soybean oil as well versus a yeah. petroleum oil to make those plastics mm-hmm. to make the polymers. And so you know, kind of an interesting shift in this too is, um, you know, now soybean oil is getting kind of pricey, and and so now you have the other checkoffs who are able to support some research on can we use corn oil in some of this or can we use canola oil and so again mm. you you have but you have checkoff money across all those commodities to be able to support that research and then as those as those markets ebb and flow and that pricing it, it gives gives those companies who are trying to meet those goals of sustainability kind of a myriad of options to choose from all from a US farmer which is pretty cool 
And I think these are important things for the general public to realize is that, I mean, petroleum is used for so many mm -hmm. reasons. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. just fuel. It gets used in just about anything that's plastic. So Blech. if you can take any crop-based oil, mm -hmm. which then would be in turn something you could grow every year right? versus a, a finite resource like uh, oil and gas or, yeah. or oil, I guess, and then that's all refined into the different products. But, you know, it just it's just creating awareness around that. Yeah. And I think you'd have more acceptance over yeah. You know, yeah. just what it is that's being done. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story to tell people who maybe doubt doubt farming, right? Um, uh -huh. What is it we do? And so to be able to say, you know, this is this is how it impacts you living in a metropolitan area, or here's here's the things that happen because of it. So right, give them more connection to what's being farmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soybeans was interesting this spring because we had uh, I think we could have gotten a thirteen dollar cash price this fall off the combine. Yeah, and I. I, I don't know. You'll tell me, Stephanie, if our acres dropped in the state. Mm. I mean, do you, do you guys, is, is that like draft day at the North Dakota Soybean Council is when the, the soybean acreage report comes out? It kind of is. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> analogy. I love that. We might have to, we might have to do like draft party and a Jersey, Jersey theme day or something on, on the acreage report. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. We, we love to get those reports and, um, oh. uh, yeah, our acreage, you know, we we hold steady in that five to six million acres. Uh, you guys know uh, prevent plant is one of our biggest challenges just with our extremes on yes. shoulders mm -hmm. of the season, um, whether it's spring or fall. So, you know, we we see acres grow. Um, we know that comes at at other at movement of other crops out uh, of acres. But I will tell you that I just had this conversation. I was just in Indianapolis yesterday for a research forum. And I said, I, you know, one of the best things about North Dakota is our rotation um, and, and our diverse crop mix. And I always get weird looks when I'm the, the soybean representative who stands up and hosts. Say, say, I always say, I hope we never go to a just a simple corn soy rotation because um, the benefits to our farmers. <laughs> That's me clapping. <laughs> You know, the benefits to our farmers and our ag industry and the future of, of this state and the ag industry is uh, that that diversity is so important, whether it's soil health, disease, weed management, all of those things, water management. But it's um, it's risk mitigation, too. Uh, and it's it's not having all your all your crop in one basket. So. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to see that, uh, you know, it, it, they suddenly, if, if we have a hard spring, you have some other options um, and maybe one crop comes through and the other one doesn't. So, um, so yeah, you know, we'll see our acres climb, I think, especially in response to the to the crush plants. It's just going to be new all the way around. Everybody's going to be learning new marketing approaches and trying to figure out how it does or, or does not work, right, um, to, to deliver a contract with a crush plant because there will be there will be a mix of it all. Uh, so we'll see a little ebb and flow. Personally, I'd like to see what a 7 million acre crop of soybeans looks like in this state someday. Um, it's a goal, huh? I like it. That's me personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've come awfully close, but then prevent plant, we, yeah. you know, we lose that. So, Well, basis has just kicked our butt. I mean, yeah. that's the biggest problem we have to deal with. So I'm I'm personally hoping that these two facilities will have something that can manage around bases because when you can look at it, you can look at the futures. And, and then you gotta you gotta factor that in. You got your local price and basis and that. And, and I, if I remember right, talking to both Bill and and it's uh, Green Bison, they're gonna their capacity if they could fully operate is like 
150,000 bushels of beans a day. Yeah, it's a lot of beans. It's a lot of so beans. It's what, 5,000 mm-hmm. acres and mm-hmm. 30 bushel a and, day mm-hmm. they can take and, and, and facilitate. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're going to need beans year round. So that's going to be different for us too, because we're used to selling everything right off the combine and and, it, and it's gone, right? It's sold and it's Dude. hitting those ships and moving. So that's, uh, we actually have our um, mid-season market outlook seminar coming up on August 8th uh, with Frayne Olson and Bill Wilson. Uh, but that's something we're going to be talking about is like, how do you, how do you start to think about that? Uh, how do you start to work that in? And does it work for your operation? Because that suddenly we have a year round market here. Yeah, and, and did both plants come online? If, yeah. if both are running at capacity, they're going to take fifty percent of our production. No, mm. big deal. Bill's yeah, that's Bill's a huge comments. deal. Bill had a comment to that. I was you know, I just remember he goes, as, as a merchandiser at a crash facility, you're you're you'd, you'd rather be long and, and wrong, yeah, than short and fired. <laughs> yeah. <that's funny. laughs> so they have to they have to have product. Yeah. You you have to. You can't like, oh, yeah, we're not, we can't operate this week. Yeah. That doesn't work. That's true. Gotta have it. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things, oh, shoot, now I'm going to forget what I was going to say. I'll come back to it. But yeah, it's, um, oh, I, each each biennium we get the opportunity, uh, well, we've been asked for the last few, to go out and speak to the uh, legislative like interim budget committee. And so they meet in the interim to look ahead for the next biennium budget. And they have called upon us to come in and give kind of a, a market outlook, right? What's the next two years look like? How do you think the industry is going to do? And it's it's always fun to go and, and present to that legislative committee. And they've always got really good questions. And um, I told them this year or this last year when we presented with the crush plants coming online, I said, well, the best news I have for you is that when I, if you have me back in two years, I'll have different charts. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be moving meal and oil and whole beans. So it's pretty exciting. That would be, yeah. No. Well, it's, it's getting to be in two years, uh, it's getting to be a challenge, right? So soybeans were the cleanup crop. Yeah. Traditionally. And with our, even with our technology, we've got some weed issues that if you're, you know, you're still in the East, it's probably Waterham, Bragweed in the central and Western part of state, it's kosher. Yeah. It's, uh, things have turned. Yeah. So yeah. that's, uh, as an agronomist, that's one of the, it's a, it's a big concern. It really showed oh. its face a little bit in 21, more so last year, but this year was like, oh boy. Yeah. It's. It's a challenge. I mean, it's it's a yield robber. It's um, and it's it just you know exponentially grows uh, so quickly, uh, and the impacts are so significant. Oh, and well, like if they're for our material reputation, we um, it's going to be something to keep an eye on. Hell yeah, if they're, right. they're used to that and the changes, mm-hmm. that could that could change your market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We take that foreign material and and the weed the weed management stuff very seriously. We invest a lot of checkoff in that. Uh, to try and help farmers understand that, you know, not only does it does it cost you money at the farm gate, but it also costs us, you know, it has global market implications. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a serious issue. And, and Miki on our team, you know, uh, like you said, you have gotten to know her and uh, the, the research committee takes that pretty seriously to make sure we get resources out and get the research done for producers on it. So, well, I got asked to be, to sit in, there's two, two calls that you can bring your ideas, thoughts, and opinions. Yeah. And so I'm on that now. So there's, there's a networking aspect Good. of uh, this whole thing where I can bring my Run thoughts here. and that. So anybody listening, you got ideas or things, hey, I'm going to sit in and listen. Emmett, Emmett Ladwork's on there. Oh, good. So good. we used to work with, used to work with Emmett mm-hmm. and, and, and Cassidy. So yeah, yeah. It'd be good to give him a hard time again. Yeah. You know, it, 
<laughs> you know, as producers, it, it's your checkoff and what are your challenges? And uh, it, we, we rely a lot on hearing from our farmers and, and that's why it's a farmer led board, right? I personally don't farm, so I'm not the one to make those decisions, but uh, those those grower leaders that sit on the board know what's going on across the state and help direct those in- investments for for the the pressing priorities. Health. No, this is this has been an excellent discussion. So, if you are a farmer or maybe an agricultural professional and you want to know more about the Soybean Council, or especially if you're a farmer and you want to know more about how to participate and be a part of things, I mean, where mm-hmm. do you send them, or where should we send them? People yeah, listening so, to this podcast. Yeah, so our office is in Fargo. Um, we're down in South Fargo. Uh, so if you're ever in, I, I mean, feel free to stop in and say hi. Uh, but ndsoybean.org is our website. Uh, tons of information on our website. Uh, sometimes I think websites are overlooked anymore as kind of like the old yellow pages, right? But oh. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of resources on there. Um, we're, on, we're on social media, so we're on Twitter or X or whatever it's called today. <laughs> it's still called Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, where, where else are we? Oh, Facebook. We do a lot on Facebook, YouTube. Okay. Uh, a lot of our research videos and information are on YouTube too. So those are quick dial oh, in. Excellent. Um, yeah. Lots of, lots of good applica- applicable research information there. The other place I direct you is the Soybean Research Information Network, SREN. It's really an online catalog for looking up your production issues. Uh, and there's photos and there's recommendations cool. and, and North Dakota is a part of that. So, yeah, we, we are here to support you as, as producers and uh, love to hear from you. Love to an expo. We always have fun in February at a blizzard day at expo. So that'll yep. be February 6th this year. Um, at six. But that's always a good day to come together. We're actually going to be out at the fairgrounds this year uh, at West Fargo. Okay. Um, oh, so excellent. I yeah. got another. Uh, I go way back to the beginning here. So you said you've been the executive director from 2018 to now. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go from 2018 and walk backwards a okay. little bit. What's that? Uh, just because I we had a conversation. I think this is super interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, so in 2013, I was hired at the North Dakota Soybean Council as the director of market development. Uh, so my, my role there was international and domestic market development. So international trade and export, biodiesel, livestock, all those things. Uh, so it was that was how I joined uh, Team Soybean was in 2013. Uh, prior to that, I was almost seven years with the North Dakota Department of Agriculture uh, as their international trade ex- export director. Um, so I did did uh, had just a phenomenal opportunity with with the ag department. I was hired um, in 2005 by Roger Johnson. He was ag commissioner at the time. Yeah, I just finished graduate school at Oklahoma State, and uh, my rule was if if somebody offered a paycheck, I should just go. <laughs> student loans, you know, all the whole thing. Uh, And so I applied all over and and got the job offer from Bismarck. And I'd actually never, never been to North Dakota. I didn't know a soul. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. So I moved up and uh, went to work for the Ag Department. Had just tremendous opportunity to help uh, both Commissioner uh, Johnson and and current Ag Commissioner Doug Goring uh, put together trade teams uh, and helped take North Dakota ag companies, ag and food companies, all around the world uh, to help help promote our products globally. We hosted a lot of teams in North Dakota, so bringing folks in from around the world to experience North Dakota agriculture, uh, meet the farmers, meet the ranchers, and and promote North Dakota ag. So it was it was pretty phenomenal. Really really enjoyed it. I couldn't have landed in a better place to to focus on my passion, which was international ag trade and export. And I'm originally from Southwest Colorado. No, so, um, okay. 
I mean, I grew up, see, I always say everybody knows where Denver is, but my home is five and a half hours southwest of Denver. <laughs> so I'm not anywhere near Denver. <laughs> and so which town exactly? Montrose. Okay. So, we, uh, uh, we, we made a stop through, uh, not in Montrose, but uh, is it Al- Alamosa or Alamosa? Alamosa. That's sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's not too far. We, me and my wife like to go and stop at uh, national parks. The Make a big trip here. every year, and we did uh, basically the southwestern Colorado or western Colorado. Yeah. Here we did Great Sand Dunes and nice. um, Mesa Verde and yeah, and Black yep. Canyon. Kind yeah. of made a loop Black, through there. Black Canyon is my backyard. So, so a lot. I grew up in the heart of agriculture. Uh, lots of specialty crops down there: hay, alfalfa, and then we we had a small cow calf operation. So, so, so as, I, as someone who likes to travel, yeah, where have you gone that? Personally, you would go back again yeah. on from anywhere from your time at the North Dakota Egg Department or in your international, any of your internationals. Sure. Um, Cuba was phenomenal. I got to lead three trade mm-hmm. missions to Cuba. Um, that was just really, really interesting to see amazing people down there. Just um, really, really lovely culture and people. Um, made quite a few trips to China, and and uh, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't go to China today because it's pretty volatile. Um, but, uh, the history, uh, you know, I mean, just, a the, the years and years of history they have, uh, in a culture that's just completely different from, from what we're used to. But Turkey is probably in my top three. I, I did get to go to Turkey and that was pretty amazing as well. Yeah. I, you know, one of my majors as an undergrad was Spanish and I have not had the opportunity to go to many Spanish speaking countries when, in my career, but that's all right. <laughs> Maybe we should have done That's it. It's funny how life works like that. It is, right? <laughs> um, is it is it quite the process to go to Cuba? Or? Yeah, you know it's it's been it's been many years since I did a trip down there, but I I'm guessing it probably hasn't changed. I know Commissioner Goring has, has been down there with the team since I think Sean, uh, who was with us, had had been. Um, yeah, you know it's there's no when we went there's no real U.S. presence or support, um, and and the the interesting thing is is you know we would travel all around. You take teams to all these different countries and you go in and the U.S. Foreign Ag Service helps set up meetings with with companies in country who are interested in buying U.S. products. Well, when you go to Cuba, there's only one buyer and it's the government. Boom. So it's, it's you know, there's no private enterprise there. Um, so it's it's all it's all run by the government and that's who purchases all the food and makes all those decisions. So you, you have one entity to meet with. So it's a, it's a very different eye opening spin on things. Well, well interesting. Now, um, well, I think you gotta if you're and when we were out in the PNW, I think there was a South Dakota soybean yeah group that was out there too, right? Yep, there was. They were down at Grace Harbor, down up. Um, they were at Seattle, uh, the Seattle area. Uh, that's an AGP facility, uh, maybe a familiar name, but they have the Aberdeen plant, uh, crush plant. It's probably the closest one for our North Dakotans. Um, just talked to the South Dakota staff yesterday. They had a great trip. Everything went really well. Um, but yeah, they kind of do something similar um, as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Good to have. So what I'm hearing out of this is, if you're a farmer, reach out to your your local soybean board or your local crops councils and and get involved. Yeah. Understand what it is that you all do and how this impacts you mm-hmm. as the farmer, as the consultant, as the ag professional yep. that that services this industry because this is it, it's quite insightful. You know, but- listening over the last hour, Stephanie, when you share. Uh, what it is you guys do and what it is the organization does and how you're mm-hmm. utilizing your resources and how complex and more to it there yeah. is and where checkoff dollars are allocated. I mean, there's it's a big web. 
It's not like yeah. there's just direct things and it's a, an unlimited fund because you start to think like a half of a percent of every mm-hmm. bushel at a market mm-hmm. price. You're like, wow, that's a lot of money. But it all just doesn't go one direction. There's so yeah. many things yeah. that it has to touch. It has to be involved with through the not only just the production on agronomic things or yield mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. if yeah. it's facility things and markets and how to get it to market. Yeah. And all that. There's there's so much involved. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. I, I really challenge anyone to look up, you know, if it's North Dakota, the ND, uh, and, yeah, and so, org. Yep, yep, yep. Perfect, there. Pa. And we'll make sure to tag everything on social when, awesome. when we do post this so okay. people can reach out and find yeah. you guys and all that. Yeah, and we've got, you know, 12 district, 12 board members. And so if you want to talk to your board member, they're, they're farmers. Uh, they're always happy to have conversations about what we're doing, too, so. And there's a good chance that if you go on ndsoybean.org, you can find who those board members are. Yeah, and really. chances are, knowing the farming community, you probably know your local one. Yep. So yep. find that individual. Go talk to them. Yeah. Go find out what this is about. Yeah. And go ahead well, maybe you'll see for yourself sometime. You <laughs> still, I'm still fired up from this trip. It was awesome. Good. It was, it was so good because you realize your part in it, this whole thing is small. But And you but, think, you think but, it's so important, but it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, small but important. I think that's what's because none of it can happen if if a piece of that chain is missing or or not doing well or not supported. So not yeah. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Stephanie, and and yeah. for everyone else listening. Hey, thanks for listening the whole way through, and we'll say with that, we'll say cheers, cheers. We'll, cheers. And we'll catch you the next time on the Ground Happy Hour. Yeah, thank you, thank, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you.